Shut up and sit down. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the show. You're listening to the Quiet Part Loud podcast. This is episode 102, and it's coming to you live from the driver's seat of my car. Uh, I'm your host, I'm Daryl, and it is good to be back with you as always. Uh, Thanks for listening. If this is your first time, welcome. Uh, It's been a crazy week, so I haven't had the opportunity uh, and won't have the opportunity to sit down at the kind of desk at home and record this as normal. So we got to be mobile today because I want to stick to the schedule and I want to get the shows out uh, every week on a Wednesday evening. So this is being recorded actually before I train my client. Um, I'm waiting for her to show up and figured I'd give myself a couple minutes extra and I should be able to get it done. So a few things we want to get into and we have to start in America with the continuation of what is an epidemic, uh, the gun violence, the mass shootings. This is, I think, the 280th mass shooting in America this year, and they happened within sort of 18 or 19 hours of each other. One in Dallas uh, that took place, or uh, not Dallas, in El Paso, Texas, and the other that took place in Dayton, Ohio. Uh, One guy walked into a Walmart, and I'm sure you've heard all about this, so I'm probably telling you Uh, Something you already know, but first guy walked into a Walmart and started gunning people down. This is located in a highly uh, Mexican area. This is very close to the border. And this idiot, this, you know, deranged ill person that carried this shooting out, posted his manifesto on 8chan moments before he went and carried out the shooting. The second guy, the shooting in Dayton, Ohio, he rolled up to a busy part of town where the nightclubs and restaurants were and started uh, started letting off rounds, killed nine people, injured, I think, 26 or 30. So all in all, I think the loss of life is about 35 people or something like that, um, and another 50 or so, 60 or so injured. But what we're dealing with here is an epidemic and I think an epidemic that stems from fear and fear based on youth because if we think of America as a country in the grand scheme of things it's still very young it's a country that was founded on a you know hostile takeover uh, many wars uh, you know amongst the colonies and the civil war and you know all of this so like guns are embedded right second amendment rights and all of that, but we're talking about an amendment that was made back when they were shooting muskets at each other. Different time, different place, different vibe, different culture, and we have to take account for that, and I think we'll go on to some of the some of the ways that maybe this could be handled, but I think this is out, this is born out of fear, and I think Americans are a very insecure nation. They posture as if they're not, but I think there's an inherent fear, a fear of being taken over, a fear of losing this, you know, grand experiment, uh, losing to foreigners, just, you know, these hostile takeover mentalities, and, you know, you're never going to take my gun, like, what did Charlton Heston say? You'll pry this gun from my cold, dead hands, right? He, I mean, 
this is the NRA. This is, you know, one of the most powerful lobbying groups in America, albeit, you know, they're in a chaotic time now, but still wield a tremendous amount of influence. And Americans love their guns because they're a protection measure. They feel threatened all the time. They, they have a fear inherent in them, I believe, as being such a young nation. They haven't gone through the trials and tribulations that other countries are going through now. It was basically a takeover, set up shop, repopulate, and take over the world. They've had instances of that fear, of that, you know, of that chaos that, that generates even more fear. You think of 9-11, you go farther back, you think of Pearl Harbor, things that shake a nation. And they never want to let go of that protective measure. And it's not because they're gun enthusiasts and that they love their firearms and they're just, you know, they're, they're in awe of the mechanics and engineering that go into a semi-automatic rifle or, you know, a grenade launcher or whatever it may be. These are not engineering loves that we're experiencing. I think this is a, a fear, a love based in fear. And the only way you're going to do anything about this problem is from the ground up. There needs to be better uh, early childhood care across the board in America. You need to, you need to lay the foundation early and change behaviors from the start because once they grow up and once they you know, sort of inherit this, this fear or this, this love of, of guns or, you know, the rhetoric that's going on in America right now, I mean, it's, it's shocking that fear is the mechanism being used by the current president to stoke a re-election campaign and a re-election attempt and got him elected in the first place. And everybody talks about this swing back. They don't want the status quo. They were sick of the Hillary's and the Obama's and the Democrats doing nothing for them. They wanted to shake up. I think Trump played on their inherent fears and they ate it up. Because they think of themselves as a strongman nation. But they live with this, this, this insecurity that breeds this fear and this, this clinging to these guns. And when you mix that with a culture that is so divided politically, that is so gripped by drug addiction and, and, and prescription medication addiction and poverty and lack of health care, you know, and all of these foundational issues that should be human rights, when you don't have those provided to you, you live a very insecure existence. If you're wealthy and completely self-sustaining, you know, then okay, maybe those fears are, are, are lessened, right? If you, if you don't have to worry about what happens if you need cancer treatment or if you break your leg or whatever, your house burns down. If you don't have to worry about those type of things, You can always afford to go to school and so can your family. You can always afford to go to the doctor and so can your family. You're never going to have to worry about where your next meal is coming from and neither is your family. If you have these things sorted and taken care of, you live a less fearful 
insecure existence. But so many people in that country have, and currently, uh, I say that wrong, so many people in that country have never had anything and continue to have no prospects of having anything. And desperation is a terrible emotion. It's a dangerous emotion. It's a volatile way to be. Right? Don't corner an animal, especially if they're starving and scared, because they will just lash out. And if you mix that all up in a cauldron of hate with racism and, you know, rhetoric that we see coming from the top down in that government, you can understand why these racially motivated mass shootings attack uh, happen. They're almost exclusively race-related. And there is a pattern here. So how do you deal with that? You can't take America's guns away from them. You'll have a civil war on your hands. You're not going to have, you know, federal agencies, you know, stocking up rosters of people to go to neighborhoods knocking and trying to claim back these illegal firearms. That's never going to happen. So you have to hit it at the start like you do with the social aspect of this. You have to hit it at a foundational level. You have to go to the gun manufacturers. You have to write legislation that makes it illegal for these things to go through. You have to put in real policies and structures that are going to manifest a difference that is not something where we try to devise a plan that's just to fix all immediately. That's not going to happen. You've got 400 million guns in America, which is more than the amount of people they have, which is, dis- which is quite a disturbing fact. So you're not going to reclaim those guns. But as they're confiscated in, in arrests, if they're, you know, illegal purchases that you can hunt down and, and then destroy them, you know, these sorts of measures can be in place. You hit the manufacturers from a, from a, uh, you know, from a, from a starting point to say you can't provide these to any gun shows, private vendors, etc. These weapons are not for public consumption. At least that's a start. Then you have to tackle the mental health side of this because, again, these things are almost exclusively done by people who are suffering from mental illness and on some sort of prescription medication, who are socially awkward, who have no real compatibility with how normal society functions. And you have to fix that. So that goes into the early childhood care. That goes into the universal basic income conversation. It goes into the uh, universal health care question. Because what you need to do is set a foundation that every citizen knows they are not going to be left destitute. And they will get the bare minimum in terms of what they need to function as a normal human with some dignity from the government. That's not handouts. That's not a welfare state. That's giving people, at some, in some capacity, an even playing field. That's what you're doing. And until you do that, fix the education system so people you know, won't have their social security way, uh, check garnished 
by the government if they still haven't paid off the exorbitant student loans that they got 50, 60 years ago. That's the kind of stuff that happens in America. And you're telling me that this isn't an insecure nation that is responding to any sort of change with fear and violence? This is an insecure nation that is inherently fearful. And we've got to do something about it. I mean, I don't know what, what I can do about it. I live in the UK. I can speak on the issue like I'm doing now. But ultimately, this is a policy problem. This is a government problem. This is an infrastructure problem. And until America has somebody at the top that's willing to take these issues on one by one, like a Bernie Sanders, then nothing will change. But more so than that, the people who have an opinion that will ultimately be one that is on the right side of history when we control these gun laws that America has, when we stop the rampant epidemic of mass shootings, you'll start to affect and see real change. But until then, forget it. People need to stand up and get involved. People need to be vocal about this. If they are on that side of this conversation, if they are not one of these these gun-toting simpletons, racist morons, if you're a rational-thinking individual that understands the concept of universal health care as a right, not a privilege, then you will start to speak up on these issues more than you have. Because that's what it's going to take. It's going to take putting somebody in power that that shares these values and has a plan of attack and then the population speaking up to say we are actually fed up of this because I guarantee you these two mass shootings will be a footnote in the news cycle if present at all within a week because the news cycle will have moved on Donald Trump will have said something different that outrages Democrats and the whole media industry will move on and take with it any memory that we have of these shootings. I've heard over the past couple of days with pundits and people being interviewed about these mass shootings and you know trying to use them for political um, posturing one way or another. I've heard the Las Vegas shooting come up in passing very briefly on a couple of occasions. And they reference it as a mass shooting. They reference it as a tragedy. But they say nothing of what the motive in that was, what happened, what they found out, where their investigation went. We have nothing on that. It just went quiet. And that raises issues with me, with things like false flags. And we can easily slip into the conspiracy theory road here, but we won't, we won't venture that path. I'm just saying, it's curious to me that something so tragic is just kind of brushed aside, we move on, nobody asks any more questions, and then it's just been brought up again, but nobody's actually asked any questions. Nobody's, ever, nobody's actually following up on this. And I find that really, really interesting. Because that is also part of the problem. 
like I said, when Trump first got elected, when I said, when, when we were talking about Trump before he was elected, I said, if the, I said, if this is something that we're going to avoid, then people are going to have to get past their complacency. They can't be zombified by social media and the news media and everything else. They have to stick to the subject. They have to stay on point and address things and get answers for things and provide follow-up questions and follow-up questions and keep beating the drum on it. But they don't. And then you get Trump. And then when he got elected, I said, listen, be consistent in your criticism where and where when and where it's applicable don't go after him just because he's got stupid hair don't go after him just because he's got toilet paper coming off the back of his shoe don't don't go off don't go after him because he eats mcdonald's or drinks a ton of coke or he looks like shit you know don't go after that his small hand you know what i mean don't go after that go after his policies go after his policies go after him as the incompetent he is in the position that he holds. He is not fit to be in that position and all you have to do is continuously call him out. And don't be distracted by him. Don't let his narrative be the narrative of the day. On all points, they are failing. An absolute F on all points. And they're continuing to do it. And that makes me very concerned about what the next election in America is going to end up looking like. Because Trump lost the popular vote, but won the presidency. And there's been no changes to how the election is determined, how the winner is determined. We are still going off of the Electoral College. The popular vote will be won again by the Democratic candidate, almost no matter who is in that position. The Democratic candidate will, in my opinion, get way more votes than Trump. I think we'll probably uh, have a bigger margin. And Michael Moore actually echoed this, saying that he thinks um, the person who is the Democratic uh, Democratic candidate for president will win by more votes than Hillary won in 2016. But still, there is a distinct possibility they can lose the election and Trump can be reelected. And that's a that's that's a that's a scary prospect, because people were like, "Well, the president doesn't have that much authority." Really? Look what he's done. He basically has the Department of Justice in his pocket. He's basically got the Supreme Court in his pocket. He's got, uh, well, the presidency, and he's managed to dodge these bullets over the last three years like nothing I've ever seen before. Nothing sticks to this guy. Fucking porn stars hanging out with um, um, human traffickers, calling people racist, calling people Pocahontas, putting kids in cages, screwing up foreign policy, meeting with dictators, ruining the environment by rolling back regulations. How many other things do you want to talk about? And yet they say, oh, well, the stock market's up and unemployment's super low. People have to work multiple jobs. People are having to take jobs that do anything to try to scrape some pennies together because they're not doing good financially. The tax cuts have not paid off for anybody but the rich. The regulation rollbacks will not do anything for anybody other than the corporations and the rich. And they will do irreparable damage 
for generations to come. And fast forward a process that we're already in the midst of, of which is, you know, a climate disaster, on, you know, around the corner, basically. So he's not working for the average person. The average person needs to wake the fuck up and see that and get off of their couch and become active. Because if they don't, they're going to have a repeat and just wait. If he gets if he gets another four years, do you know how emboldened he will be? How destructive he will be? That could very well be the end of what we now know the democratic process in America uh, is. That could be the end of it. And can you imagine? The funny thing is, if you would have said four years ago, can you imagine? Almost exclusively, you would have heard, no. That's never going to happen. Even on the night, these assholes were saying, nope, never going to happen. And here we are. And imagine what another, another term in office, what he'd be able to do with that, how much more fucked up he would be able to make everything. And I've said this before, Trump is not the sole problem here. He is not the source of this problem. He is a symptom of the problems in America, including that inherent fear, predominantly because of that inherent fear that we talked about earlier. Trump is a symptom of what's going on in America. He is not the cause of it. Is he exacerbating those problems? 100%. Is he a misogynist, a racist, a xenophobe? 100%. Is he a megalomaniac and a narcissist? Absolutely. But he is spawned from the problems in America. Of course he's helped exacerbate them. You can go all the way to the Central Park Five with this asshole. And I think whoever the PR team for some of these Democratic candidates are need to really go fishing for some media because there is some amazing stuff out there. The video of Boris Johnson talking shit about how incompetent Trump is that was blasted all over the side of Big Ben uh, during the uh, Labor Party leadership or the uh, Conservative Party leadership campaign in the UK here. It is gold. The statements he's made. When he laughs at this person in the rally that says, how do you deal with this caravan of migrants coming up? It's an invasion. It's an invasion. And some redneck fuck in the audience says, shoot him. And he starts laughing. He starts laughing. You can't play that off. As rational thinking people, as independent thinking people, we have to stand up, especially those in America, have to stand up and say, this will not stand. We will not have any more of this. We have had our fill. We tested the experiment. We bounced back, but now we definitely have to go the other way again because this is not something that can be sustained. This has no longevity in it. This is absolute chaos, and it's all falling to bits. It is fractured, it is divided, and it is toxic like it's never been before. And something needs to happen. And that actually moves me nicely onto the other thing that I wanted to talk about. One of the other things I wanted to talk about today, which was the democratic, uh, the democratic debates, if you even want to call them debates. I mean, they're an absolute farce to the word. Um, but they get 10 of these suckers up on stage at a time and they have to do two nights of debates because there's 20 fucking candidates. And 
everybody gets 12 seconds to talk. Everybody gets 10 seconds to put a nuanced plan together, describe it, have everybody understand it, and then we got a couple, we got, we got 30 seconds for rebuttals. That is not a debate. That is a, that is a fishing trip and all you're trying to catch is sound bites. It's a reality TV show and it's not even interesting to watch because you don't get to hear anybody say anything worth listening to. It is a fucked up format. It is completely asinine that they have this many candidates even in the running for it. I mean, literally 15 of them don't have a chance in hell. Let's extend it. Let's let's let, let's say 10 of them. Right? Let's cut half the field straight away. And I'm not saying necessarily on percentage of, of, of polling nationally. I mean, I know that's what they would go off and that would actually remove some of the candidates that I think are actually having a great conversation with the American public about their, about their policies, about their agenda, about their manifesto. Tulsi Gabbard is one. I mean, Andrew Yang is now climbing. Uh, I think he's fourth or fifth. Uh, Pete Buttigieg is, is another one. He is so concise. He is so articulate. He is so well-spoken. You can tell the man is so intelligent. And he's not pulling as high as he needs to be, but he is surging. I think maybe he's fifth or sixth or something like that. So both those guys are in there. But I think Tulsi Gabbard would be out. Um, and I think she definitely needs to be in the conversation. Uh, but what's happening now is they're starting to represent a, a snake that eats its own tail. It's becoming a chaos scenario, right? They're attacking each other. They're doing what they have to do to keep the donations coming in, make themselves stand out, and the media is coming along. The media is facilitating this and helping to promote this because they are favoring some of the candidates rather than just listening to the messages that they are delivering. For instance, CNN get, allowed Kamala Harris to get away with effectively brushing off anything to do with a response about what Tulsi Gabbard had said about her record as attorney general in the state of California when she was running the DOJ. Tulsi said, you've put 1,500 people away from marijuana charges. You've held people past their point of release. You've withheld evidence uh, for you know, for people on, you know, death row and things like this, like horrible, horrible statements. And you need to rebut this if you're going to, you know, if you're going to stand up there and take that, you have to have a rebuttal. And her rebuttal was weak. Her rebuttal was completely, completely sidestepping the points that Tulsi made. And yet when Kamala Harris is on her interview with Anderson Cooper after the debates, she says, oh, well, you know, people who are polling at zero or one percent, I know they're going to have an attack at me. I'm a top tier candidate like you arrogant motherfucker. I mean, I was never a huge Kamala Harris fan, but I am definitely not a fan of hers after that. After seeing that one clip, I am not. And after seeing Tulsi go at her and her not even having the dignity to say this is where your facts are wrong because she couldn't. You know Tulsi's telling the truth. You can Google these facts and check them out for yourself. But the fact that this top-tier candidate who is you know, polling second or third out of all candidates in the nation can't even, can't even bring herself to give half a response to that. And yet CNN are siding with her. They're putting her up in front like, this is our girl. TV shows are doing the same thing. The Daily Show with Trevor Noah. He's all over Kamala Harris's dick right? 
ignores any of the criticism, doesn't address anything that someone like Tulsi's saying. Just, nope, that's a woman, that's a black woman, we're ticking boxes, let's go. And that's not how this, this thing, this is, this is not going to be successful if this is how they go down this path. Because it is true, you need somebody that can beat Donald Trump. You need somebody that can fight him head on. But I don't think it's somebody who has the sort of temperament that I see from a Kamala Harris. The person I would most like to see up against Trump at the moment is Pete Buttigieg with Tulsi Gabbard or Andrew Yang in the wing. That's kind of how I would like to see it go. That's a, a real outside chance. That is not a, a safe bet to take whatsoever. But I think that's, that presents change. That presents variety, diversity. That, pretends, uh, that, that presents a really articulate delivery of some sensible arguments some sensible manifesto points, and I think the change that would be hardest for Trump to fight against. I don't think he'd be able to do that same old, same old with those two in tow. They're both military veterans. One's gay. Pete speaks eight languages. Tulsi's articulate as anything you like, and they both look great. I just think it's amazing. And Andrew Yang is, he's a gangster too. I love when Andrew Yang gets on the mic. Just spits his shit. He doesn't give a fuck. I loved it when he said, oh, we're all up here wearing makeup and they got to, you know, they want to have a crack at me about not wearing a tie instead of addressing the issues. Goddamn right. That's how this thing needs to be running. Those three to me are the ones. I'm not interested in hearing about Joe Biden. I'm not interested in hearing about Kamala Harris. <clears throat> Bernie Sanders is awesome, but I think he needs to play like a heavy cabinet role instead of, you know, be president. Because Bernie's old. You know, Bernie's real old. And I think, we need a, I, I think we need a fresher look in there. Let's shake things up a little bit, guys. Get out there and do something. So I, I hope. But this... This infighting needs to stop because it's no kind of way to demonstrate integrity. It, it takes away from the message that you're trying to make. It puts the focus on you in a negative context rather than you know your opponent who is ultimately Donald Trump and people like Mitch McConnell who are, uh, you know, Mitch McConnell refuses to sign any sort of uh, legislation through or pass any sort of legislation through to protect against, you know, election interference. I mean, this guy's a fucking criminal. Straight up and doesn't give a shit. Turtle man doesn't give a fuck. And for me, it's disgraceful. So I really hope it stops because it's not going to get anybody anywhere. And the outcome that you're hoping for is not going to be the outcome you get and then we're all fucked. And I don't use that, I don't use that term lightly. I think really... He gets another four years. We are fucked. Like, everybody suffers from this. But in, in, in a sense, I know a recession's probably coming relatively soon. So it'd be great to see how he handles that. But I just, I, for, for, for all the negative that he would bring to the table, I don't want that pleasure. I'd rather just see the end of him. And I'm, I said it on the last show. I said... If he doesn't get impeached and he loses this election, I bet you see him in handcuffs in the next 18 to 24 months. And I really believe that. 
I think this is a man that's buckling under pressure now. I think he really knows that, you know, the walls are kind of closing in. But we've said this time and time again, and and nothing sticks to him. So who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? I just hope there is some sort of an awakening. I feel like there is. I feel like there is, but... The other thing that I actually wanted to... wanted to mention was Trump's speech because I mean he got so in Dayton I said it was Dayton Ohio he said it was Toledo when he gave the speech but I thought it was really funny that he mentioned that the problem was social media the problem was video games the problem was uh, like music like rap music and violent music and things like that but took no responsibility whatsoever to the gun providers. It just, I remembered that just now. And, uh, and I thought it was kind of despicable, but again, you know, he's already out here tweeting about fake news, this and calling the fact that the Dayton, Ohio shooter actually had affiliation. This is the funny thing, right? So he will, he will push away any accusation that may, come close to him being responsible in any way, shape, or form for the guy in Texas. But now that they figured that the Dayton, Ohio shooter was actually like a far left guy, like more of an Antifa, he's all like, well, you know, not about me. This guy over here supported AOC and Bernie Sanders and people like that. So what do you want? Fake news, like uh, everything's fake news, right? But he's doing exactly the same thing he's being accused for. And this is... You know, this is more the political garbage that we were talking about, but we're kind of past this. And, and I, but I, that just kind of came to my head quickly, and uh, and I thought it was quite funny. The other thing I wanted to talk about was this this recent news from British Airways that they're planning uh, they basically authorize a strike action over pay, of course. That's the only thing strikes you know, are generally used for, but never mind. Um, anyways, so they started threatening strikes. All of a sudden, all their flights from Heathrow are starting to be delayed. And now, as recently as today or yesterday, these passengers took this video of a BA plane, a British Airways plane, cabin, full of smoke, and they're getting evacuated. And I don't even think they'd taken off yet, or maybe they just landed, or they had to do an emergency landing, or some shit. But the reason I bring this up is because I'm flying to Italy in like two weeks, and I'm flying with BA. Now, if any of you guys listening happen to know my wife at all, she's not the best flyer any time of the day. If she senses even an inkling of something, it's going to turn her, it's going to turn this trip into a fucking nightmare. (laughs) And it's already started. It's already started. So she's flipping out and all I want to do is go on holiday. But BA have, you fucked up, you fucked up my plans. You fucking up my plans is what I'm saying to you. And I think this strike action is really inconsiderate. And I don't know what your salaries are, but I bet they're... I would I would venture a guess that they're better than most in the aviation industry. 
So if you don't like it, you need to pivot out. But stop fucking with these planes and stop causing them delays uh, in in taking off and stop canceling flights and stop just stop fucking around. It's air travel. You're sending hundreds of people up in a tin cylinder, expecting them to feel safe. They have a hard enough time doing it as it is. We gotta have some trust in these corporations and the people that work with them. They can't just be throwing hissy fits over pay anytime they feel like. People are trying to get places. So please, if you could stop the shenanigans, start getting your planes to take off and give us some good news to report. That would be fantastic. I can't change my flight now. I have to fly with BA. And I decided to fly business because, you know, it's a nice little trip for us and it'll be a nice way to fly. But this is this is really putting a stain on your reputation as being a great airline, in my opinion. So can you sort your shit out, please? Because I've got a nervous wife that's going to turn my vacation, my first vacation in a year, into hell. She's going to crush my hand in the plane. That goes without saying. That happens anytime. But she's going to be extra anxious now because of your bullshit. So I just wanted to voice my my uh, my disapproval. <laughs> yeah? And I think the last thing that I wanted to talk about today was this crumbling infrastructure we have as a country. I mean, I pay taxes. Right? I'm a good law-abiding citizen now that I've grown up a little bit. My older age, I'm, I'm getting all grown up and handling my responsibilities. One of those responsibilities is council tax. If you live in the UK, council tax is supposed to pay for council services, infrastructure, cleaning, recycling, garbage, all of that sort of thing. And this old decrepit bridge somewhere up more northern parts of England has, or no, it's not a bridge. It's in Whaley Bridge, I think, but it's a dam and it's basically collapsing and they're throwing sandbags on it, like that's going to like fix the problem. And I know it's just a temporary measure to stop from flooding out the entire village that this dam is like basically holding water back from. But the, this is the whole entire problem with government, with corporations, with any system or structure or corporation, is it runs so inefficiently. We don't solve the problem or take, we don't take care of the problem proactively. There's nothing proactive done in these processes. We always wait until something goes terribly wrong and then, oh, oh, then we got to fix it. Oh, oh, we should, we should probably re- repair that bridge. Like, do you remember that one in Italy that just fucking collapsed? Killed like, I don't know how many people, but just fell out of the sky. Just, just, just said, that's enough. We're off. We're done. Shutting up shop. We're going to fall down now. All the pillars that were supposed to hold the thing up were still standing. It was just the bridge part of the bridge that fell down and crushed people underneath it and killed those that were actually on top of on the bridge at the time. Infrastructure. Where's my money going? I get a letter in my mail that says your council tax is going to go up again. It's already gone up once, I think, this year. They're like, oh, it's going up again. For what? My street's dirty. My recycling didn't get picked up for two days. The fuck is going on? What am I paying you guys for? Yet if I complain about this, nothing gets done. And if I don't pay my council tax, I'll go to jail. But if you don't do the job as a council that you're being paid to do, that your citizens are paying for you to do, 
there's no consequences? How is that a fair transaction? How is that a fair value exchange? And now these assholes have the audacity. I don't know if anybody else has seen this, but now these assholes have the audacity to say they're going to think about charging us for recycling. They're going to charge us to pick up our recycling in addition to what our council tax is. And I say to that, fuck you. We should all take our garbage, dump it all over the streets and make them pick it up. But I'm too house proud to do that. I like where I live and I like the fact that it's somewhat clean. Could it be better? Absolutely. How? The council does their job better. But the audacity for these assholes to come and say they're going to charge me for recycling when they can't even do their job now? Get out of here. And I think we just need to hold these guys to account more and more often. And I'm not saying bitching and moaning about every little detail and every little thing, right? Some things get to slide. But if I see a value exchange that I think is fair, that's ultimately what I'm looking for. I'm not looking to get fucked over at every turn by everybody that has some administrative control. They have you by the balls. So you can just throw your incompetency and your weight around. Because that's all that's going on, right? It's like the TV license. Nobody wants to pay a fucking TV license. Everybody knows this is a complete racket. This is extortion, okay? It doesn't pay for anything. It brings in a tremendous amount of revenue. But what's it paying for? Production, producing TV shows that are okay, right? The many radio stations that they have. Fuck that TV license. Get some advertising or beat it. Get the fuck out of here. I don't want to hear it. But it's the same with this council tax. It's like, okay, cool. We have to all pool our money to support the council to have them keep it clean, tidy, safe. Well, my neighborhood isn't clean and it's not safe. So what are you doing to justify your money? And when I saw this bridge collapse in this town, Whaley, um, somewhere up, like I said, in the northern part of England, I think it is, I was just like, this is case in point. If I'm, I'm about to drive home now, right? Because I've taken a break and then I've come back to finish the show, finish the podcast before I go home. So I just finished uh, training my client. Great session. She's fucking doing great. Amazing work. Now I'm going to drive home and I'm going to hit innumerable potholes on the way home. What is my council tax paying for? Accountability is why we started this podcast and I think we need to get back to doing more of that. I need to be a bit more cutthroat. I think I've been a bit more, I've been a bit too PC over the past like few shows, what have you. I don't know how long it's been, but I felt listening back on a couple of episodes that I'm not being the truest version of who I am and you guys deserve better than that. So I need to come to the table with the gusto and the emphasis on points that I need to be making and that I have been making and that I should be making about all of these issues. No more sugarcoating or taking it easy on anybody. So putting everything on notice. I want to get a little bit more jokey too because one of the things that I want to find is my flow because I still feel, even after a hundred shows, that I'm, I'm not fully me. I'm not making the quick references, the film references, the quick kind of puns. And maybe that's because I'm not bouncing off of anybody. I'm not sure. But I'm working harder on that aspect of it. So I just wanted to let you guys know that I'm in constant change with this thing. And I'm trying to bring you a product that I know you will love. But I just want to say before we wrap this up that 
I appreciate all of you guys so much. The numbers, despite the audio problems, despite despite the production issues, despite it being just me when I say we, you guys are still listening. And you're listening more now than you have at any point in time. So this show is growing. It's not growing by the thousands every week. I wish it were, but it's not. And we're in it for the long run, so that doesn't matter. But I'm going to continue to evolve. I'm going to continue to find my voice, find my niche, and really get this thing to a place that I intended it to be when I first pressed record. And that is a uncut, unfiltered take on the issues that matter and holding people account when they need to be held account and calling people out on their bullshit every single step of the way. So that's going to be it for today. But episode 102 has been a bit of a wavy one. And I don't know how this experiment of recording this on my phone is actually going to be. But when I mix it all together and try to do some editing to it, we'll see what the final product is. But I'm trying for you guys because I give a shit. So I hope you feel that. I appreciate your support. Come back. Keep listening. You're on this journey with us. And if I think about it, if I look back on episode like 100 of something like the Joe Rogan podcast, it was still raw. And he has all the money in the world to do production and things like that. And I know we're further ahead of the game. I'm still trying to work this whole thing out. So bear with me. I appreciate your support. I appreciate you guys listening. I love you to death, and I can't say thanks enough. So until next time, guys, this has been episode 102 of the Quiet Part Loud podcast. I'm your host, Daryl. It's, it's fucking always amazing to be here, and, you know, life is good. The sun is shining. You know, the world is beautiful when we don't focus on all the negative, but I appreciate when I do focus on the negative, you guys come to listen, and hopefully I have some sort of viewpoint that you guys can vibe with. I want to hear from you. Anything you think I can change or do better or do less of or do more of, that's all feedback that's critical and vital to the success of this show. And I'm open to that. So hit me up. You can find us on Twitter. You can download this thing on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify. doesn't matter. Anywhere you can get a podcast, you can get the show. So just search Quiet Part Loud and uh, tune on in. But we all want to hear from you, right? So rate us and and do all that stuff as well. So... um, Thanks again, guys. I appreciate it. And we'll be back next week with episode 103. So until then, until next time, all the best.